Hold me down, Lord, that I may uplift thee. I speak to the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I love words. I love poetry that causes our hearts to sing. And I'm a sucker for stirring speeches. You know that. You've heard me quote so many from this pulpit. I love speeches that inspire us to be better than we are, that call us to act for the common good, to face down our fears even in the face of overwhelming difficulty. Though sometimes people criticize great orators as offering nothing more than words, think of all the criticism our poor President Obama has sustained about that, inspiring words offer us vision and hope. They weave newly imagined possibilities even when reality is stuck and cold and stony. My favorite speeches are those given at times when it seems there's no way forward, given to spur people to action in the face of overwhelming odds, even despair. Now you all know I was an English teacher before I was a priest, so you won't be surprised that one of my favorite speeches, one I've used here before, is the famed St. Crispin's Day speech given by King Henry V and immortalized by Shakespeare. In the midst of the Hundred Years' War, King Henry and his 9,000 troops were intercepted by the French army who had 36,000 troops. So on the eve of St. Crispin's Day, as the demoralized English troops awaited the next day's battle, King Henry gave this famous speech, which even if you don't know it, you probably recognize the lines where King Henry promises his troops that they will triumph in glory and that any Englishman who missed the battle will sorrow not to have been there with them. He inspires, and Crispin Crispian shall ne'er go by from this day to the ending of the world, but we in it shall be remembered. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. And gentlemen in England now abed shall think themselves accursed they were not here and hold their manhoods cheap whilst any speaks that fought with us upon St. Crispin's Day. Across the ocean and more than four centuries later, our own President Abraham Lincoln stood on the battlefield of Gettysburg still drenched in the blood of 50,000 Union and Confederate soldiers, one of the lowest points of the Civil War. And at the end of his brief address, President Lincoln honored the dead and then called his country to a new purpose. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here 
he said, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and the government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from this earth. When leaders offer bold visions, encouraging their people to struggle against the odds, to give themselves to something larger than themselves, to pursue goals that make life meaningful, they give us hope and life. They make even struggle a pathway to joy. And that that is what I think Jesus is doing today. He is calling the great crowd around him to action and he is warning them of the dangers of following him. When people hear this passage today, when you heard it today, you might have gotten a little bit mad or uncomfortable. It sort of sounds like a guilt trip or that Jesus is setting the bar so high that no one can possibly reach it. But I think that's the wrong way to hear this. Jesus isn't lecturing us or guilting us or threatening us. No, Jesus is inviting people to follow him on the great adventure, on the most exciting journey one could take the journey of following him. But in that invitation to great adventure, Jesus also tells the truth about the risks, the truth about the cost of discipleship. We will have to leave comfort behind. We will have to take risks, detach from all that is not of God if we are going to live lives of deep Christian character, of meaning, lives of courage. Now believe me, most of the folks who would have heard those words in that day would have been more offended than we are. After all, Jesus lived in a clan culture. People's lives and livelihoods depended upon their families. So to say that followers must be ready to hate mother and father, child and sibling, that would have made no sense. It would have been offensive, as would the call to take up the cross, the symbol of Roman torture. And no one, not then or now, wants to think of giving up all our possessions. Clearly, Jesus is using hyperbole to make apparent the risks of following him. He wants us to be clear about what he's asking. He doesn't want us to just believe in him and then do nothing. Like any brave leader using words to move and inspire, Jesus, the incarnate word, expects his words, 
his words of challenge and of vision to inspire us to action, to inspire us to changed lives. So Jesus is asking us to count the cost. Count the cost of following him. Just as we count the cost of so many of our decisions. Am I willing to spend time at the gym and give up desserts to be in better health? That's counting the cost. And is volunteering at Outreach Inc. or Dayspring or making phone calls with IndyCan this election season, is that all worth the extra hours I'm going to have to work? It's counting the cost. Can I afford to take time off from paid work to care for a child or an elderly parent? We count the costs. We count the costs of our decisions all the time and we need to count the costs now. Always. Can we afford? Can we afford, are we willing to accept the cost of discipleship? Now many of us may have already said yes to that question years ago and now we might find that the cost has been a little bit more than we wanted to pay. Yet we still hope to follow Jesus someday, somehow. Now I want to be clear. Jesus is not saying that we must do these things. He's inviting us. We don't have to sacrifice in order to earn salvation. That's taken care of once and for all. We don't have to earn it. But Jesus is talking about the quality of our lives, the integrity with which we are able to say we follow him, just as Moses in Deuteronomy today invited people to choose life so that they might live long and be prosperous. After all, being Christian isn't only about what we believe, it's about what we do and it's about how we behave. So how do we follow? How do we live into the graceful lives of generosity and selflessness, courage and meaning that Jesus calls us to? For discipleship takes time. It takes energy, practice, commitment. but we're not meant to do it alone. So here's the good news. You're already living into it. We're living into it together here at All Saints. You can live further and further into this life of following Jesus closely and being his disciple right here at All Saints. 
deepening into daily prayer and committing to this body of Christ right here by coming to worship every week, by giving of yourself to improve the life of this place, by caring for others right here, here in this community of faith and out there in the other communities that we are seeking to serve. And as we look to the beginning of this program year, I promise there'll be lots and lots of ways to deepen in your discipleship. And I'm sure you'll find lots of ways in your own lives too, ways that won't make sense to those who have not yet said yes. You're going to find people who need your love and your help. I'm sure there are relationships in your lives that are in sore need of forgiveness. Perhaps there are children or elderly parents who need care. Maybe your work demands your very best. Whatever it is, it will cost. It will cost. Following Jesus always does, but it's the way of life. It means recalibrating our priorities and our passions, our framework of what gives us meaning. So where's the balance in your life? What's the cross? Where's the meaning? What are you willing to give, to sacrifice, to offer, to do, to follow Jesus, to help strengthen and grow this local body of Christ here at 16th and Central here in Indianapolis? Beloved, Jesus is inviting us to something hard and beautiful, something bigger than ourselves. He warns that it will require courage and sacrifice. But I promise you, I promise us, we, we few, we happy few, that it is the most exciting and life-giving invitation that we can ever get. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.